Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Oh man, church, it is a good Sunday morning. You may be seated. My name is Aaron Jones, and I am not going to lie to you. I am so excited. Even though it is incredibly hot and humid outside, believe me when I walked outside, after having just showered, I was already drenched in sweat. But I'm also excited because this is the first day that I get to be up here and share with you the Word of God. If I can get my notes up, that is. As most of you know, this past week was Champs Camp. And Champs Camp is Round Rock's summer camp for the kids. And through all the craziness of the very first day, Abby came up to me and asked me if I wanted to come up on stage. And I'm a person that will never turn down anything that involves people seeing me. As you can see, I'm up here. <laughs> and so I said yes, and I walked into the auditorium with screaming kids on my right side and on my left side, and I got up on stage, and then I realized Abby brought me up here to dance. <laughs> it's a common thought that black people know how to dance, and when I say that I didn't get a single one of those jeans, I really, really mean it, and I am so thankful that you did not see me in that video. I'm fairly certain my parents saved all of those jeans for my sister because she can dance and sing like nobody's business. But I had a great time, specifically because I got to see a certain person dancing far worse than I did, and he's not even looking at me staring at him right now. Yes, that person was Zane, and you all saw at the end of that video Zane's horrible attempt at dancing, and I have no idea what those strange body contortions were, but the kids loved watching us do our thing and attempt to mimic whatever it was that we were trying to do. But I also want to say that the volunteers who woke up every morning with a smile on their face sacrificed their time and their energy to show these kids who God is. Man, that's such a blessing. Thank you to each and every single one of you for giving up your time and your energy for these kids. Thank you so much for pouring in to the next generation. But while I was at Champs Camp, I was reminded of my childhood, and things were so much easier then, right? Things when we were kids weren't so muddy, things were so much clearer, but now everything is a little bit gray. The lines of morality are so fuzzy, it's hard to tell what's good and what's bad. And thinking about that, I was reminded of one of my favorite childhood movies. Ready for this? The Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> he gets it, he gets it. And in that movie, one of my favorite characters, his name is Kronk. Whenever Yzma asked him to do something nefarious, an angel and a devil would pop up on his shoulder, and he was forced to make a decision, a good decision or a bad decision. 
And every single time these things would pop up on his shoulder, they would argue, and he would be forced to choose one or the other. And this trope is seen all throughout media. We see it in shows like Tom and Jerry, The Flintstones, and even How I Met Your Mother. And I've actually never seen How I Met Your Mother except for this episode. <laughs> kind of ironic. But the reason that it shows up so much in media is because it's a reflection of our lives. Every day we have to make these choices, these choices of whether or not we do something good or we do something evil. Should I scare the daylights out of Callie or should I let her have her day of work in peace? <laughs> should I help my girlfriend with the dishes that I helped to uh, dirty or should I make her do them herself? Guys, I promise you the answer is always help. Or should I give grace to the person that cut me off in traffic? Or should I scream obscenities at them that they will never hear? We all have choices. And these choices even show up in Scripture. When David went to go bring his brother's food that his father sent, he lingered for a little while, probably a little longer than he should have, but he was still there. And then Goliath came out into the field like he did every single day to intimidate the Israelites. And David, no doubt feeling a little bit confident after, had just being, after having just been anointed by God, said, so what's the deal with this guy? What's the reward for whoever kills him? And his brother Eliab heard this, and Scripture says that he was angry. Why have you come down? Oops, sorry. Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. And in that small statement, Eliab undercuts David's value by calling his sheep, uh, his flock of sheep, small, and by questioning both his integrity, his intentions, and his heart. The words that Eliab uses refer to moral evil, which basically boils down to everything that makes up David being against God. Ouch. Can you imagine somebody saying that to you? If you ever wanted to sweep the legs out from under somebody, that is exactly what you say to them, that every single fiber of their being goes against God. And Eliab says this for a reason. In the previous chapter, he was rejected by God, and God chose David instead of him. We've all had those moments where we thought we were going to get a job that we definitely thought we deserved, or somebody got a promotion that we thought we were shooing for, or somebody got a spot on a team that we worked so hard to get. I don't know about you guys, but if I were in Eliab's position, I would be livid absolutely livid that somebody who had already taken something that I thought would be mine is now seeking more fame and more glory. We have two siblings here in a disagreement, and one sibling passes judgment on the other. One sibling claims that they know the other sibling's heart and their intentions. After living with my sister for the majority of both of our lives, I feel like I know her pretty well. She, every day at around midnight, or I should say every night around midnight, I know that she's on the phone talking to her friends, 
Or if I hear the refrigerator open, I know she's grabbing a bell pepper to snack on or some other vegetable or fruit. I know that she has a passion for art. And most of all, I know that her emotions run so deep that even when somebody hurts her, she still has compassion for them. And Eliab can claim that he knows David in the same way. After living with him for the majority of both of their lives, it is so easy to say that we know our siblings just as Eliab claims that he knows David. But David is complicated. Eliab might say that he knows who David is, but really he just knows, he just barely scratches the surface. We know that later on in David's life, he messes up big time. And specifically, I'm talking about having an affair with the wife of one of his greatest soldiers, trying to cover up that affair, and then sending his soldier out to the battlefield, the very front lines where he would be killed. That is complicated. Because in the same breath, David both claims to know God and claims righteousness, but he is also so selfish. He says, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He does two things there. He seeks reward, and he praises God. And then later on, when he's talking to Eliab, he gives a classic sibling retort saying, Now what have I done? Can't I even speak? But through all the things that David said, he doesn't try to defend himself. Again and again, people criticized and dismissed David for his youth and his stature. His brother did it. King Saul did it. A man who had just seen David be anointed by God. And then the arrogant Philistine Goliath did it. And it's very easy to see where they're coming from. It's hard to believe that somebody with my height and Zane's build, that big around, could stand up against somebody who's 7 foot 10 inches tall and had years of battle experience. There is no way that he could have beat Goliath. But we all have these things about us that are absolute fact, completely indisputable. And people latch on to those things. They latch on to them and use them against us. It's oftentimes that the people that know us the best are the ones who cut the deepest. But in this story, there is one character who doesn't look down on David. And that character is God. Rather than looking at David's failures, sins, and flaws, God saw the heart of somebody he deemed worthy not because of his accomplishments, but because he was created by God. Someone that was worth paying a high price for. Eliab, Saul, and Goliath made a choice to judge David on indisputable fact. But God saw past all of that and loved him anyway. But even though David was being verbally assaulted by his brother, he still went on with confidence. He went on with confidence because he knew who God said that he was. Chosen and loved. 
Later on in David's life, he goes on to write the Psalms. And in the Psalms, he pours out his heart, every feeling of hurt, every feeling of sadness, every feeling of joy and happiness. And in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6, he calls out to God saying, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word was on my tongue, Lord, you knew it completely. You hem me in, behind, and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. David was crying out to the God who created him and knew him deeper than anyone or anything ever could. And even though God knew all of the sins that he had committed and would commit in the future, he still chose David. Have you ever had somebody choose you in spite of the things that you've done? After one of my biggest failures during my freshman year of college, all I was feeling was sadness and despair. The devil that was on my shoulder was working so, so hard, and I was listening. And as somebody who deals with anxiety and depression on a daily basis, I know that it is not always easy to choose which voice that we use to talk to and about ourselves. But thankfully, we don't have to go through this alone. We don't have to go through these situations of mental crisis by ourselves because we have doctors, we have counselors, and we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are willing to walk through each and every one of these moments with us. So that day I went to one of my good friends, Will Herridge, and I sat down with him and I, I told him everything that had happened. I poured my heart out in those moments and he said to me, you made a mistake but you are not your mistake. You made a mistake, but you are not your mistake. And after that, I went to the person in whom I offended, and they said this to me. I care more about you than your mistake. I care more about you than your mistake. Through conversations and counseling, we have all heard things that sound like this from people that we love and care about. And if these two statements don't exemplify what the gospel is, then I don't know what can. But even though they were speaking so much life into me in a moment where I had done something horrible, what they said was only the tip of the iceberg of how God really sees us. God's love runs so, so deep. But David had failed in his life before, and he would fail in the future. But he was still capable of doing the things that God placed in his life to do. God didn't look at the sum of David's sins and say, that's too much for me. He looked at everything that David was, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and decided that David was his. 
His worth wasn't tied up in Eliab's insults and Saul's approval or in Goliath's threats or even his triumph over Goliath. His worth was defined by the loving words of the one who chose him. Knowing that God is on his side, David went out with this confidence that we have all seen in the eyes of a football player going out onto the field for the very first time for a game. And having all of the confidence in the world, David goes to King Saul and says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight him. The statement and the actions that followed were heard hundreds of years later spoken by the one known as the Son of David, and that's Jesus. And in John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. David may have been cocky, but he was fueled by the words that God had written on his heart, and his pride was backed up by the power of God behind him. And with God, David went out and slayed Goliath, a symbolic inauguration of all the things that would come in his future, his triumphs and his failures. And he did all of that in spite of the definitions that the world attempted to place on him. In a way, we all represent David, or David represents all of us. We're messy, complicated people. But the definitions that the world places on us don't matter to the one who paid the ultimate price for us. God saw our complicated and messy lives, and instead of turning his nose up at the ones who turned their back on him, he sent his son to die so that we could live eternally with him. Now that is true love. We have the capacity to extend the same love to the other messy people that we have come across in our lives. It just takes a little bit of effort. We know about David's failings within his story, and it's hard to not judge him based on these stories. Eliab judged him. Saul judged him. Goliath judged him. And we judge him too. And yet David still served God faithfully throughout his life to the point where his bad choices are overshadowed by his identity founded in God. We have come to know David as a man after God's own heart. Through all of this opposition, David still knew who God said that he was and that the Lord would follow him wherever he went. The confident swagger that David carries when he walks to Saul, the bold speech to both uh, Goliath and Saul, is all founded in the knowledge that God would go before him and allow him to succeed in everything that he set out to do. I'll end with this story. In Ohio, there was a boy who was shopping around a 7-Eleven, and as he was shopping, he would take these small little things and put them in his pockets. A customer saw him doing this and told the owner, and when the boy came up to the uh, counter to pay for the things that he didn't try to steal, the owner said, son, please empty out your pockets. And no doubt, incredibly ashamed of what he had done, 
the boy turns out his pockets and candy, chips, and gum fall onto the counter. And the owner seeing this said, why are you stealing? And the boy looked at him and answered, because my brother and I are hungry. He didn't judge the boy based on his perception of his actions, but instead saw the value of somebody who was in need. The owner said, well, that's not food. You're stealing gum and candies. That's just something for munching. If you're hungry, ask me, and I will give you food. In that moment, the store owner saw the needs of the boy instead of the action of stealing. Each and every day, we come across complicated people. People carry their own sins, their preferences and prejudices, and their baggage. And it is up to us to choose how we interact with them. With God, we are worthy and capable. Even when we make the wrong choices, we are not defined by our mistakes, the words of others, or even our successes. We are defined by God and God alone. And through him, we are able to do the work in which he has set a path for. But on top of that, we all have choices to make. In this past week, when we ran across the messiness of the people around us, how did we respond? Where is your heart in those moments? With the angel or with the devil? What are you saying to yourself and to others, people that are loved and chosen by God? Who do you lose heart for? What are you thinking when you see the woman in a store with four screaming children? How do you react when a person sits at a green light a little bit too long? What do you say when somebody who treated you horribly is now in crisis? Jesus tells us the two greatest commandments are to love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And then he says the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. As you leave today, I want you to think about that. The complexity and the complicated nature of ourselves and others is something that we all have to deal with. And when we deal with it, we have a choice to build up or attempt to tear down the identity that is founded in Christ. Will we navigate others the way that God navigates us? I want to end our time together with a blessing, and afterwards one of our elders will come up on stage and close us out. Please bow with me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.